You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 70, covering Measure of a Man and the Dauphine, with special guest Mark Bosco. Uh, hello, friends. We're back. We are, we are back. Uh, Bob is with us this week. Hello. And we're doing the episode that we've been teasing for months and months because we've, we've seen it on the horizon. We've been telling ourselves there's there's a great episode coming. We know it. We've just come on. We can get through the outrageous Okana because this episode's coming and now it's here. Woohoo! It's Yay. Um, so without further delay, uh, we had a bit of a mix-up at first, actually. Bob wanted to be here for this episode, but he wanted to summarize the other one. And he very graciously at the last second said, well... Okay, I didn't, uh, I didn't want to summarize this one, but I, I will. <laughs> I think you were worried you were going to cry because it's a very, yes. you know, and that's why I'm moving up too. Yeah, no, I, I'm not. That's not a dig at you. It's just, it's a very, um, what's the word? Tear-inducing? No. <laughs> it's an emotional episode. Emotional? That's no, there was a better word, but I've lost it. It doesn't matter. Right, Bob, I, why don't you tell us about measure of a man? Why don't you measure a man for us? <laughs> I will. I will do that measuring. All right. All right. Uh, so Data joins the officers' first poker game, and Riker fluffs some pigeons. Later, Admiral Marita brings aboard Commander Bruce Maddox, who wants to see what makes Data tick, even if it means stealing him away to a research starbase. Picard goes to his old flame, the local JAG officer, to stop the process. She suggests that Data could always resign, so Data starts packing. Maddox, however, argues that Data is Starfleet property, so he can't resign. Picard and Riker go back to Mrs. Jag to challenge that idea. Unfortunately, she's the only person in her new office, so there's no one to prosecute the case, a task which now falls to Senor Officer Riker. So Riker goes off to do his research and finds a great way to argue his case that makes him really happy and depressed at the same time. So, on to the hearing. Riker asks Data what he is, about his storage capacity and operational speed, he asks him to bend a bar of steel. He pulls off his hand. Picard objects a lot. Then Riker turns Data off and calls him Pinocchio. What a dick. Picard calls for a recess. Whee! And goes to drown his sorrows at the bar. He <laughs> goes to drown his sorrows at the bar, where Guyner reminds him that it's not just about Data, but about a potential whole race of, quote, disposable creatures who do the dirty work. So Picard comes back fighting. Does Data pass the three tests for sentience? Maddox wants to make more. As many as are needed. Will they be slaves or free individuals? Thank goodness the Jag Lady has some sense and rules in Data's favor. <laughs> yeah. I'm this, sorry. <laughs> something it's in your beautiful. eye. <laughs> yep. I think I think the only main character who didn't get something in their eye is Jordy, and that's just because, you know. There's eyes. already something in his eye. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> No, this as as we have hinted before, as I as I mentioned, the first great episode. What's weird is there's no real action, like there's no physical action. It's all it's intellectual like stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's all arguments. It's all just you know, mostly people in a room arguing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's easily like the best episode. Oh yeah, so and it's That's like when we get to the end of all 178 or whatever it is, like this will probably be in my top ten. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. how good it is. Um, I think, yeah, I think this is like the first really great episode. Yeah, we've had a few in season two that are quite good, but this yep. one's by far 
one of the best. And it still operates in, in Gene's sort of very narrow, we have to do things without conflict. We have to, you know, like, nobody's really evil. Nobody's corrupt. Everyone has a valid viewpoint. Mm-hmm. But there's still a nice bit of conflict there, regardless. Like they're, yeah. they're working within his really narrow confines and still making it work. Yeah, like even Maddox as the bad guy isn't, you know, a bad guy. He's just kind of a dick. No, he has a he has a valid standpoint. It's just yeah. it, it's flawed and it's obviously and, against. It's not what we want. No, but right. like he he's completely justified in wanting to like help Starfleet. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So, so uh, Bob, your good thing, bad thing. Uh, good thing. I don't know the whole thing. I, I, <laughs> I especially love that Data is interested in helping medics even after all of this. Like at the end, he's like, "Okay, you know, even though they ruled my favor, well, you know, medics, if you, you know, your research advances and you want uh, some more information or help, you know, let me know." Yeah, and there's a great callback later on where we find out that Data's been sort of writing letters to him. Like Maddox gets the opportunity to study what. Data's typical days are like and how things work and you know I, I think that's really cool that that, yeah. that turns into a thing yeah I, one of the interesting things to me was that one of the reasons Maddox sort of ends up losing is because he's not very good at it no he's not <laughs> he's not a great uh arguer oh, no not even that he's not a good cyberneticist yeah yes. like Data's no, main concern true. is you're going to take me apart and not be able to put me back together. <laughs> and that's the central, like, I wonder how this would have unfolded had Maddox's character been someone who is entirely competent and like totally competent capable scientist. of building a, an army of datas. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Like, I think that might've been sort of a requirement of the, <laughs> of the episode. Like then, like then data would have just gone along and we never would have gotten this argument about it. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And then we'd have like ships of androids crew. Well, like, like you say, there's, um, data sort of approaches it like a scientist, like what you, what, you know, a lot of what you say is sound. I should be studied. You're, you're right. And until it comes down to a challenge to his, you know, personal liberty, he's, he's all on board with it, which I think is very cool. Yeah. Uh, and your bad thing. Um, the bad thing is, there's very little for me to find bad here, except that it seems like in a few lines that Maddox has, they take the easy way out and trying to frame him as a bad guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's like one line during the hearing, he's like, rights, rights, I'm sick of hearing about rights. Like, you know, <laughs> some you know, <laughs> dictator that's like, ah, oh, people. <laughs> if, if you're saying words, if you're saying sentences like that, it's very clear you're not the good guy in this equation. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I, I think that sort of feeds back to what I was saying. They set him up as sort of the straw man, as sort of the, the bad, like, I don't know. If he'd been more sensible and better at his job, I think yeah. you wouldn't have had a case here. Like, they had to make they had to make him flawed or else this, I don't know, the argument wouldn't have been strong enough to, for them to win. Mm-hmm. Right. Show how he was overreaching and right. you know, didn't, didn't quite, uh, yeah. didn't quite have his ducks in a row. I I do I always love the the bureaucrat as a bad guy though. Yeah. I actually like the bureaucrat as a good guy. I love like the action bureaucrat character like um Agent Action Coulson. bureaucrat comes with everything you see here. <laughs> well like Agent Coulson from uh from the the Marvel movies. Yes. Total oh, action yeah. bureaucrat. Or like uh I love another that guy. another comic book example uh, Amanda Waller from uh, the like the Justice League cartoon and Oh yeah, she also rocks. from the comics, but also action bureaucrat. And you know, so they can be good guys too, but I like, you know, I like when the enemy is sort of, well, this guy's not breaking any rules. The enemy is Starfleet. <laughs> That's mm. kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Matt, what about you? Good thing, bad thing? 
Uh, again, the whole episode is absolutely fantastic, but um, uh, my good thing is Picard's defensive data speech. Oh, yeah. Like, this is that you want to sum up Picard's character right there. Like, that's everything you need to know. That's Picard. Yep. It's how he's different than Kirk. It's how he's just as good, if not better, than Kirk. <clears throat> yeah, I really wish we could have gotten one of his great sort of moral high ground speeches in the pilot, as opposed to the first thing he does is surrender. Because... <laughs> You're absolutely right. This is totally Picard in a nutshell, and it's mm-hmm. the Picard we all remember yeah. being fans of the whole series. Like, Patrick Stewart as an actor fucking shines in this episode. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just the entire, for the entire thing. He just is amazing. Yeah, and, and there's a few uh, instances where he's he's on one side, and then he's sort of, no, and then he's convinced, and then he, he plays, yeah. you know, he plays the indecisiveness and, the, and being in this very difficult situation very well, and then, mm-hmm. yeah, the, the speeches. And what's cool is this season, this is all coming together because I think it was the previous episode, the the Klingon episode, Riker. That was a definitive Riker as a character episode. And now he's fallen into place and now Picard has totally fallen into it. Like, we're finally figuring out what these characters really are all about. Yeah, absolutely. Which is great. We get to that uh, morally indignant Picard that we all know and love. Oh yeah, that's that's my favorite Picard. Where you know <laughs> his, his speeches, the, you know, the first duty of every Starfleet, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, and your bad thing? I really hated Maddox. <laughs> I mean, I guess you're supposed to. It's not so like it's not a bad. It's not even really a bad thing. I just hate <laughs> irritating guys in blue shirts that feel the need to be mean to Data. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> No, that's fair. Um, I mean, again, he was, I think, meant to be hateable, but... Yeah, uh, I would actually almost like to see them have done this episode with him as a perfectly, like, like none of his, like, ah, rights, I don't, he's a box, and it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, if you if they played him as, like, a relatable character and didn't have to, you know, feel the need to make him, you know, even slightly villainous, mm-hmm. I, I would be interested, I'd be interested to see how this episode went. Yeah, I don't know. I think part of, like, some of the drama sort of hinges on the fact that, that he is making flawed arguments. And, mm-hmm. You know, I think they I, had to make some of those concessions for the story. Some of it might have just been shortcuts. Mm-hmm. Mm. I was actually really surprised that uh, Pulaski doesn't feature in any of the court case. I just assumed that this was, like, her big turnaround on Data thing, and she doesn't really show up that much. No, she, but she's in it, too. It's not... I mean, because, no, she is in it, but, Which like, is weird, because, you know, sometimes she couldn't be, and it, that would make sense if they didn't mm-hmm. really put her in it, because, you know, she wasn't available, but... Yeah. But yeah. apparently she's really good at poker, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, I, I would have loved to have seen her, like, argue against Data being a... Well, and she's, by rank, I think, a commander. Yeah. So she could have taken, you know, Riker's spot. That would have been really cool. Yeah, but I really like the, the dramatic... Like, we'll, we'll get to that in a sec. Um, my good thing was the introduction of the poker game. Well, I mean, my good thing was the whole thing, like everybody else. But, <laughs> you know, uh, the, the poker game, is it turns into a running thing. And what's cool is here it could just be a one-off thing. It's one joke, which is Data has studied poker. He knows everything about poker. He's going to win, and then he doesn't. And mm-hmm. that's the joke in the end. Yeah. Yeah. And then we get to see Riker's poker face. Yes. <laughs> poker yeah. face. And, the, and the, th- the thing about that is that's very Roddenberry as well in a good way. Like, the you know you're missing the vital human equation. Like, the the whole thing about this game is, yes, skill, but also emotions and reading other people's emotions. And, you know, it's right. a very human game. Hmm. And I like that they managed to, like like I say, it should just be a one-joke premise, but they managed to bring it back over and over, and it turns into a great way to 
show the show that they're friends, show what they do when they're time off, and also just do some nice character stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, it's too bad that O'Brien doesn't show up there a lot because I think this is the only time I can remember yeah. actually seeing him there. Yeah. It's usually it's usually an officer's game, right? And he's an enlisted man. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, but they let Wesley in sometimes, and while he is an officer, he's a junior officer. Well, they just like fleecing him of all his money. <laughs> That's right. For my all his allowance. non-existent money. <laughs> yes. Uh, my bad thing, again, very difficult to find. Uh, I'm actually going with something that Matt pointed out, which was um, there is a bit of a conflict of interests in... Uh, well, Picard has a romantic history with uh, with the Jag officer. <laughs> <laughs> Matt's joke, not mine. <laughs> P- Pippi Longstocking? Yeah, yes, Pippi Longstocking. What, what is it? For... Philippa Philippa Terrence of Philippa that's it. <laughs> <laughs> no he's, she's um and they talk about this she was she presided over the inquiry after Picard lost the stargazer which is a great way to tie in continuity because that did happen and it was mm. a big deal and there should have been an inquiry he didn't just lose a ship and go on his oh, way whoops yeah they, they made a big deal out of it and uh, oh, also dear. they apparently have a romantic history so right there that's a conflict of interest Mm -hmm. but then obviously putting Riker in the spot of having to prosecute you know data a friend an officer he served with you know that's another conflict of interest and I understand the the, um the station is uh shorthanded and they don't have a lot of senior officers and they needed you know somebody of rank there's only five people in the station. Yeah. Right. See, and, and, you know, that sounds funny, but really, I believe a lot of these stations out in deep space probably are not very well manned. Like, ships come and refuel and whatever. There's mm-hmm. got to be tons of people there. The, the station's, like, bigger than the Enterprise. Yeah, but it's uh, it's designed for, like, guys to come and have shore leave. Like, you know, there's a lot of room so that the Enterprise can empty out and people can go, I don't know, do mm. their thing. I don't know. <laughs> That's I feel how like I there's probably I feel like there's probably a lot of like ones that are busy like DS9 if it's like a high like if it's a high if it's a high traffic area Yeah, but the thing or, is before the wormhole DS9 would have been empty. No, that's what time. I'm saying. Hmm. But like there's you know and you've got ones that have like, you know, labs. There's probably some defensive ones set up like along the neutral zone. Yeah, I just I picture them like like fortresses out on the uh, you know, out on the frontier like in western times. Mhm. But, like, this one is just, like, you know, fucking six people just maintaining the place. Right. Um, But anyway, the the whole conflict of interest thing, like, I I do think that's a little sketchy. However, the drama that it sets up, putting Riker in that position totally makes up for that. Because it gives Frakes a chance. And he does, he he pulls off some great acting, too. Like, you you mentioned Patrick Stewart, but Frakes has a lot of great moments where he's, like, like you pointed out in your summary, Bob, where... uh, Yay! I can beat data. Oh, I can beat data. <laughs> <laughs> and he and he doesn't say anything. It's all in his face. And yep. He, yep. He just does some great sort of subtle, like, well, I'm doing what I was told, but I don't like it. I, yeah. I, you know, we, we've said it many times before, but it bears repeating. We love Riker. Yep. Oh yeah. He's, he's not. Great. He's not always very subtle, but he's still enjoyable. Yeah. No, that's what I like. He's not subtle all the time. Mm-hmm. He's a very direct guy. As we'll see in the next episode. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I I, mean, it's it's really to this episode's credit that, you know, five guys in a room arguing makes up a large portion of the episode. And it's still just compelling. It's quintessential Star Trek. Mm-hmm. It's, it's dealing with sort of big issues. But at the same time, it's very personal with the characters. Like, it covers all the stuff that it needs to cover. It's, it's fantastic. 
and it's hard to believe that this is only season two. Like this really yeah. feels like this should be a season three or four episode. Mm-hmm. And everything just comes together really well. Yep. No, it's a fantastic episode. And I think it does a really good job of getting our sympathies. Like I, I imagine some people in the audience, like first you got the, the fans of the original series who were like, Oh, this isn't the same. This isn't as good. Mm-hmm. But and, you like know, he's daughter. not, <laughs> that's weird. Your daughter's <laughs> what? Uh, like 11, 12, something like that. Uh, my daughter is 13. Oh yeah. God. Yeah. <laughs> but she, she was totally in love with Spock. And then she was right. like, I don't, I don't want to try next generation. And then eventually I got her to try it. And then she fell in love with data. <laughs> but see, I can see people early in the series thinking, Oh, he's not Spock. He's not even human. And then this episode really, while Data, you know, is the focus of it, he's not really a big part of it, like, acting-wise. You know, like, it's mostly a Picard and Riker story. Yeah. But it really gets your sympathies with Data. Like, if you were not really won over by the character by the end of this episode, you are. Mm -hmm. Because they make a really good case for, no, don't let the bad man take him off. I like him. (laughs) He's my robot buddy. (laughs) And there's a a great scene between him and Geordi. Where yep. Jordy's just like, well, I don't want to say goodbye. I don't want you to leave. Jordy's just moping around. Yeah. Well, I in hang in out dark with room. Wesley, I guess. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Come on. No, what was... about Worf? Worf kind of scares me. <laughs> Worf scares everybody, honey. <laughs> now, and, um, and this also is the episode where Matt was finally won over by, uh, by Guinan, which is yep. nice. That continues into the next episode, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She, like we've said before, she does a lot of what Troy should be doing, mm-hmm. which is being people's conscience and sort of provoking them into solving their own problems and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And I, although, Bob, you did you did make a good observation on that front. Mm. And, and slavery is bad, y'all. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. I, I guess it was important for her to have... Uh, for, for her to deliver that instead of a white person. I, I, I also like that argument when they're like... When they're talking about how it's not just about it, it, the, the episode suddenly becomes not just about well you know what yeah the rights of this to, one individual but, it suddenly mm-hmm. becomes the rights of like this potential race of people yep and like is Starfleet going to be okay with having robots that can push around yeah plus you know they, they, surely they've seen stories about you know robots turning against their creators so no mm-hmm. no we'll just stick in the uh, three laws in there we'll be fine oh they they, they don't have any dystopian. Uh, stories in the uh, Star Trek future. Only yeah, the no, uh, Rod Gray doesn't believe in them. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, but going back a sec, Bob, what you had pointed out was that um, the reason people talk to Guyne and the reason she's better at it is that uh, nobody wants to talk to Troy because oh, it's her job. Right, exactly. I mean, that's, yeah, exactly. They, they have to go and talk to her sometimes for evaluations and things like mm-hmm. that. So they don't want to just go and chat with her. Right. But, you know, you, you can go and talk to the bartender because she's not going to report whatever your neuroses are to Starfleet. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, how irritating has it got to be to go into Troy's office and have her go, I sense you are in great pain. Uh. <laughs> oh, do you? Whereas Guinan's like, here, have a drink. <laughs> what, you yeah, that, is, that is a bit more inviting. Uh, what else? I mean, there's a, there's a lot to say about this episode, but mostly it's just going to be us going, this is great! Like, yep. is, there, is there really any more major points? Or Written by Melinda M. Snodgrass, by the way. Yeah, she was <laughs> the a, best a, name ever. <laughs> one of the main contributors for a while, as I recall. Really? Yeah. Oh, good for her. You'll see oh. her name. She might have become a producer, like, in a later season. Like, you'll see that name a lot, I know. Mm. Oh, there, there is one thing. My, uh, mm-hmm. my daughter reviewed this episode with me when I was writing the summary, and uh-huh. uh, she commented at the end, like, Riker looks just like you. 
Really? Yes. Wow. Apparently. All right. So maybe maybe I'll dress as Riker for the Comic Con. That'd be great. I mean, I you know I haven't seen you since you came out for the wedding, so maybe maybe you look like Riker now, but I I don't really see it like in my mind's eye. But eh, who knows? I don't know. I can pretend. <laughs> and, and as well, you should. <laughs> that I can't think of much better things for your daughter to say to you, actually. <laughs> Unless you were just like sitting on a chair backwards or something like that. You know that doesn't count. <laughs> All right. Um, any further business or? Oh yeah. Um, Maddox has this gr- had this great like tick throughout the episode where he like he very rarely would look at Data when he talked to him. Oh yeah. Um, he never he only ever referred to him as it. Mm-hmm. And in fact, there's at the end there's like this it like this big deal that he you know he they convince him that Data's a real person and start he starts calling him him. Well, yeah, it's I a nice just, sort of. He, uh... 12 Angry Men moment where... Yeah, exactly. He's gradually won over over the course of the arguments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I really dug that. I just wish they hadn't felt the need to draw attention to it. Yeah, they did sort of... You called him him! Hey! I, I this dramatic should be becoming more human every day. <laughs> they didn't need to clobber us over the head with it. You're right. But, uh... <laughs> Thank you, Bob. All right, laugh, Bob. laugh on the bridge music. Yes, of course. <laughs> Put your hands on your hips. Throw your head back. <laughs> Put your hands in the air like you just don't care. Do the bridge laugh. <laughs> All right, Bob, you got a quote for us? Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a spoiler if you want to sound the spoiler horn. But the uh, do we have that? For, <laughs> oh, we should no, get that's one. A different podcast. Sorry. Okay. Uh, the, the just the uh, the bit of uh, Picard's oratory at the the end of his grand argument. Oh, that's the question you have to answer. Your Honor, a courtroom is a crucible. In it, we burn away irrelevancies until we are left with a pure product, the truth, for all time. Now, sooner or later, this man, or others like him, will succeed in replicating commander data. Now, the decision you reach here today will determine how we will regard this creation of our genius. It will reveal the kind of a people we are, what he is destined to be. It will reach far beyond this courtroom and this one android. It could significantly redefine the boundaries of personal liberty and freedom, expanding them for some, savagely curtailing them for others. Are you prepared to condemn him and all who come after him to servitude and slavery? Your Honor, Starfleet was founded to seek out new life. Well, there it sits. Waiting. You wanted a chance to make law. Well, here it is. Make it a good one. Grant. <laughs> yeah, that is, I mean, you know, we, we talked about that a bit before. Just to, whatever uh, Patrick Stewart gives a speech, there is, I think, something in all nerds that you just, like, settle in your chair and just, like, here it comes. Let it wash oh, over you. Gives me chills. Just this thinking is, about it. Yeah. This is what we're here for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That and Riker, of course. Well, Yes. <laughs> All right, well, as is um, Ape Law, I guess, because we have a great episode, we also have to have one that's a Wesley episode. Oh, God. <laughs> I don't even think this one was terrible. I think it was kind of middle of the road for season two, but... Uh, I don't think it was terrible, but I do think it had some, like, well, I'll get to it. I think comparing <laughs> comparing it to what came before just isn't fair. Yeah. I think if we'd seen this after the outrageous Okana or the child, we probably would have liked it. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, no, I don't think so. 
that's fair. Well, Matt, why don't you tell us all about what you insist on calling the dolphin? Ah, uh, yes, the dolphin. Okay. <laughs> So the Enterprise is transporting this diplomat and her governess to some planet where the diplomat is to be made queen or mayor or something. <laughs> mayor! The, the diplomat's a pretty 16-year-old girl named Celia, and the governess is an awful, squeaky-voiced old woman in one of those full-body, except for where the face po- pokes out robes that Kai Wynn always wore, which gives me a bad taste in my mouth as soon as I see it. Wesley spots the girl, falls immediately in love, and talks to Jordy and Worf about how to court her, because those two are the perfect go-to for relationship advice. <laughs> Meanwhile, Kai Wynn finds out that someone on the ship has the flu and turns into bug-eyed Chewbacca to try and kill him. She and Worf bare teeth at each other, and she backs down and is confined to quarters. Yeah. Wesley dates Celine on the holodeck, and she is sad because she has to be mayor and not have fun forever. Kai Wynn loses her shit when she finds out Selene is dating, and Picard forbids Wesley to see her, and Wesley, overcome by his first feelings of young love, sits in his room and plays solo Battleship. Eventually, Selene, Selene, tired of waiting for a romantic gesture, comes to him and they have awkward makeouts until Kai Wynn slash Chewbugga shows up. (laughs) Selene turns into Skeletor's minion Beast Man. The two wrestle a bit, and then they both back down. Wesley's creeped out that Selene isn't human, but he eventually comes around. Kaiwin decides Celine is an adult and leaves to go live on the moon, which is where my mom told us we we which is what my mom told us we did with our first dog when we had to have it put down. Celine leaves to go be mayor, even though she doesn't want to. Wesley goes back to his quarters to play more solo battleship. In summation, the Enterprise successfully makes a three-hour trip. Wesley has a girlfriend, and I desperately try to remember that episodes like Measure of a Man exist. Also, I have no idea what a dolphin is. Well, Bob, you 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 could help on this one, yes. The... Oh, do you really want me to do the well actually explanation? Yes, <laughs> it's a French word, right? It's do- uh, the dauphin, dauphin is, uh, I believe, it was the the French prince out of potentially more than one prince, the one that was going to become the king. Ah, yeah. So she's a prince, <laughs> a oh, little or, prince, or princess, right? Uh, Matt, one point of order, uh, they didn't actually wrestle at all, they just stare at each other. Yeah, that's right, I, I, I thought they wrestled, they didn't. Yeah. No, so there wasn't I, even that, like, little bit of action. That would have been nice. <laughs> the costumes would have fallen apart. <laughs> the thing is, those suits, like, weren't, uh, well, we'll get to that. Uh, your good thing, bad thing? <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, it's actually my quote, but there's a, there's a scene where Guinan and Riker are showing Wesley how to flirt, and it just becomes completely awesome. Yep. Uh, yeah. This episode and the last one, like I was saying, really got me to like Guinan. <laughs> there's, there's just, it, it stops becoming about Wesley in about five seconds. Yep. <laughs> in fact, we usually put the quote after all this, but let's just throw it here now since we're already talking about it. All right. Guinan, I need your help. Could you step over here a minute? Sounds simple enough. Now first words out of your mouth are the most important. You may want to start with something like this. You are the most beautiful woman in the galaxy. But that might not work. Yes. Yes, it would. You don't know how long I've wanted to tell you that. But you were afraid. Yes. Of me? Of us, of what we might become. Commander? Or that you might think that was a lie. Maybe I do think it's a lie. Can you think I'm not sincere? I didn't say that. There's nothing wrong with the line. It's like a knock at the door. Then you're inviting me in. I'm not sending you away. That's more than I expected. Is it as much as you hoped? To hope 
is to recognize the possibility. I had only dreams. Dreams can be dangerous. Not these dreams. I dream of a galaxy where your eyes are the stars and the universe worships the night. Be careful. Putting me on a pedestal so high you may not be able to reach me. Then I'll learn how to fly. You are the heart in my day and the soul in my night. I don't think this is my style. Shut up, kid. Tell me more about my eyes. And yeah, there's just that <laughs> that great moment where, yes. and you, unfortunately, it starts to be visual where they cut to Wesley yeah. rolling his eyes almost immediately. Yep. yep. And they just completely, and their body language is like they were t- turned toward him and they sort of turn away from him. <laughs> They're just like looking straight at each other. Yep. And it's just <laughs> like it's become about the game now. Yep. Mm-hmm. Which, and I love, I love, that's one of the things I like about the whole Riker is a horn dog thing is. Mm-hmm. What makes him different than Kirk is everyone knows it, and all of his like he doesn't take advantage of anyone. Nope, it's all people like this who right. operate on the same level as him, and it's a challenge. And they like the game; they like the back and forth. And yeah, you know, it, he charms them into it. It's not just like where Kirk, you know, I'm the captain. The you wall. have to sleep with me. <laughs> yeah, it never feels like like Riker's friends are gonna have to cover up for him later. Yeah, <laughs> where we got that vibe about Kirk all the time. Yep. I mean, you know, like like we mentioned once or twice, the the fact that his best friend is a doctor had to figure in <laughs> some of those scenarios. Uh, and your bad thing? Here's why Wesley sucks, okay? In the entirety of this episode, he never does anything to fight for this girl. He spends the last half hour of the episode in his quarters moping and playing 3D battleships. The girl comes to him. The girl fights Kai Win for him. Wesley just sits around, mopes, cowers away from Chew- from the Chewbacca monster, <laughs> and, and does and does whatever he's told. We could have like this could have been a good opportunity to develop his his character a little bit, you know. Mm. Let him go up again. Let him fight against Picard for trying to tell him what to do. You know, he's a teenager, friend, love for the first time. Let him take the girl. Give us some kind of conflict. Like this episode is just. We delivered a girl to a planet in three hours. It worked out really well. It just... Oh, there, there, there's, there's so much potential for Wesley to have done something in this episode, and instead nothing happens. We get... See, I, I agree we get, with we, you, but I think he is acting in character. I think me. he's acting in character, and I think Celia does a good job. Like, I like... Like, you're, you're, you were saying about how Celia uh, being, like, the one who actually does stuff is a nice change. But we don't see her ever again. We have to see Wesley every week. We need, like he needs to be doing things well, to yeah, get I, us I to see be where interested you're in the, him. The standard cliche is that the boy will fight to get to see the girl. And what I was saying is it's a nice turnaround to see the girl actually disobeying and coming to the boy. Mm-hmm. And because Wesley is so concerned with his future career in Starfleet and so concerned with impressing daddy figure Picard, I just I feel like it's totally in character. But you're right. Be- writing him in character makes this a very boring story that's right he, he's if a he doesn't boring rebel, character then there's no you know who cares and i mean honestly nothing happens in this episode true like we have this this sort of mysterious old woman on the ship who's like super overprotective but mm-hmm. like there's no conflict or anything she fucking 360s at the end when uh celine uh, turns into 180 into, man. Uh, whatever she <laughs> 180s at the end when celine turns into beast man and they like stare at each other yeah oh well now i see that you've become a real adult and i could leave forever goodbye (laughs) (laughs) no i don't i mean 
I don't know. I first of all, I don't think Star Trek has any place doing teen love stories. I no, there's there are you know for teen love, please see the entirety of television. You don't that, <laughs> we already have that. We don't need Star Trek to do that. But that said, you know it's important to show Wesley's first love. But yeah, you're right because because of the the box that they built around his character, it didn't make it a very interesting story. Yeah. Also, he gets super snippy when he finds out she's not a humanoid. Oh, God, yeah. That mm. shit is racist. Yeah, You're racist, of, Wesley. <laughs> like two or three weeks in a row, he's he's said something sort of racist against you know non-humans. Yeah, which that's is really cool. weird. Is it like is it excusable that that Wesley is not you know as advanced as the rest of human society be just because he's underage? I mean, as, as far as like genes dictate, you know, goes. I don't know because I mean we always had bones making you know jabs at Spock, and and of course the read on that always was that he. You know, he really loved him, and he was just giving him a hard time. Right? Yeah! But there was a lot of humans are great and aliens are not great in the original series, too. Mm. Yeah, but this is like, like with with this, it's like Wesley being, I've never been more in love with anyone ever in my entire life. Wait, you're not human? Ew. Yeah. Right. I, so I, humans have to be nice to other humans, but they yeah. don't have to be nice to aliens. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, I've always liked story. But then again, Gene was against... The, the plot of Star Trek Six being that the humans were anti-Klingon. Mm. Like, he, he did not approve of that at all. Hmm. So I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. I, <laughs> shockingly, he was probably very inconsistent about that. Mm. What, a, what a shock, yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I feel like, not that I want to make excuses for it or anything, but maybe Wesley's issue was that she wasn't honest. Yeah, okay. I mean, I guess. You know, you could have told me that's pretty important detail. Like yeah, that, but he they maybe. they never address it like that. It's no. always like well, no. Was... What I, I'm trying to I'm trying to yeah. No, I, I can, yeah. <laughs> uh, Bob, what about you? Good thing, bad thing. Uh, good thing. Uh, I, again, I, I think I have to agree with Matt here. The awesome moonlighting dialogue between uh, Horn Dogbreaker and and Guinan. Oh yeah, that was uh, that was pretty damn awesome. Yep. Um, and bad thing. The, the bad thing. I don't know. Everything else probably. <laughs> uh, if I had to pick something, I'd say. Uh, the bad plastic lemur heads. And, yeah. <laughs> or or Wesley being a real jerk. <laughs> also, yeah. <laughs> um, I, that was actually my bad thing as well. I'll just jump to that because I, I don't know. I, picking one specific thing. Like I said, yeah, it wasn't interesting to watch Wesley, but he, I feel like he was acting in character. I just feel like yeah. it's not a good thing to frame a story around to watch someone who just does what he's told. Mm-hmm. Um. But uh, my my bad thing. So my bad thing was actually the, the horrible monsters as well. That just mm-hmm. and you know this show can do decent looking aliens. They've done. Mm-hmm. They, yep. they've done a few already. But they just yeah, not good. It looked like that, Alf at one point. Yeah, <laughs> the bodies no, didn't it, did, look we bad. Get... But the no, they did. You're right. The big masks were like I don't know. They look like giant lemur heads, but they didn't move at all. And well, they mm-hmm. had googly eyes. Yeah, yeah, they did have googly eyes. <laughs> Not cool. Uh, my good thing was um, there's this great vibe, and it's only there briefly, and then there's like a line or two at the end where Worf sees that the old woman can turn into this big imposing monster thing. Goofy looking, yes, but still big and imposing. Mm-hmm. And her, her um, protective instincts and all that. And he sees that they're sort of kindred spirits. They're both, you know, like protectors and warriors and that kind of thing. And just Worf's respect for her is a nice subtle character like Worf didn't have much to do in either of these episodes and I like it when a character that only gets a minute or two of screen time still gets something that fleshes out their character a little bit Mm -hmm. and you get a nice hint of Worf's you know like 
we may be at odds, but I respect you. We're you know we're not so different, you and I. Like I, in another reality, you and I could have been. <laughs> well, friends. and the last thing she says to him is, you know, I hope someday we can fight on the same side. On and the that, same side. But that's like the ultimate compliment to Worf. Like that is mm-hmm. something you you know, if you respect someone as a warrior, and they say, next time I hope we can fight together. Like that's yeah, all right. She likes me. <laughs> I just I liked that again. I like that Worf hasn't had much to do the last couple of weeks, but. They gave him a little something, and Dorn completely nailed it. Awesome. Which I always like. It's, it's like the Chief O'Brien thing. It's like Chief yeah. O'Brien doesn't get much to do, but when he's there, the actor is great, and the writers have a handle on who he is, and you still get a little something to to help yeah. define who he's supposed to be, and that's cool. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't know what else. Um, uh, I noticed the, that, uh, it, uh, I'm sure it's come up a lot, but the, uh, a lot of there was a lot of lazy writing as far as like describing alien stuff in, in this oh, one. Specifically. Yeah, that's, that's a standard Star Trek thing. Everything is like other planet, adjective, Earth thing. Like you know, Thalian, yep. chocolate moose, Sarian, yep. encephalitis, yep. Rigelian dick bats. <laughs> you know, like Earth dick bats, only from Rigel. Yes. The Rigelian dick bats are the bats are the worst. Their entire bodies are just dicks. <laughs> well, which Rigel are they from? Though there's so many Rigels. All Rigel. Wow. <laughs> Every Rigel has its own species of dick bat. Well, that's why they kept showing up in the animated series, I suppose. Yeah, they got onto a ship and like got spread across the galaxy. Man, I miss the dick bats, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> if I could have five minutes with J.J. Abrams, I would spend four and a half kissing his ass and the other 30 seconds imploring him to include dick bats in the next movie. <laughs> so, have you thought about dick bats? What's a dick bat? Well, here, let me, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> glad you asked. No, I'd even be I'd even be fine with like them showing up in the comic series now. Oh, that'd be fine. Just yeah. only for like like just off in the distance, like flying in the sky. You don't have a to flock, fight them. A flock of dickheads. Yes. yes, just flying by while someone's talking. That oh, they're doing Return fine. of the Archons. That's a shitty episode. They can make it into Return of the Dick Bats. <laughs> Turnabout Dick Bat. <laughs> Praise Landrew. <laughs> Spock's Dick Bats. Yeah, I don't know. I dick bats. <laughs> yeah. For the uh, world is hollow and I've touched the dick bats. <laughs> oh, honey, don't touch your dick bat. Not in public. Uh, at one point, the old woman, you know, she can turn into a little elf-looking thing. She can turn into a big Chewbacca bug. And she can also turn into, I don't know how to say her name, Shelly from Twin Peaks, the, the actress. Oh, um, Madge Emick? Yeah, that's her. Yeah. Very, very attractive woman. Um, mm. Indeed. And she chooses most of the time to stay in this old woman form. Yep. You can be a hot chick, you can be a fuzzy monster, or you, you can be... You can be a smaller fuzzy monster. Or you can be an old woman. And you choose old woman. Really? Huh. All right. <laughs> well, I mean, she did talk about how Worf underestimated her. Mm-hmm. Well, I understand. Like, it's the whole Yoda thing. It's the whole mm-hmm. appearing to be, you know... Judge me by my size, do you? <laughs> small and weak, but actually being, you know, strong. I get that. Yeah. But, uh, I don't know. Why don't you pull her lightsaber on him? <laughs> right. There's an arm on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> I this is another episode where it's like um uh the other one, loud as a whisper, where there's some key fact about a person they're transporting and they don't know it. Like at the time they didn't know that uh Reva was uh, deaf, 
Mm-hmm. And this right. time they don't know these guys are shapeshifters. It seems like they should know these things before yeah, like, they bring them on guys, their ship. You guys could, you you just could do like us. five minutes of research. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, if these guys are a species of shapeshifters, that seems like something the Federation should know. <laughs> if you mm-hmm. just told us, we wouldn't have had to gone through this episode. Well, yeah, we could have just skipped it. <laughs> no, I mean, that, but I really don't think that would have been a, a major... Like, it, you could have still told this story without that plot point. That's not yeah. a big deal. They're shapeshifters. Okay. You could still show them shape-shifting, you know, when dangerous stuff happens or whatever. Yeah. Right. I don't know. Like, I guess, I mean, I, th- I guess they were trying to set it up as, like, a surprise, because first you have, like, uh, Celine talking, there's just some girl in a room all of a sudden. Yeah, but since I already knew, it just it mm. didn't do anything. I don't know. There's one of those times we try to go into this, you know, not knowing, like, trying to pretend we, we don't know what happens later, but it's hard. It's hard sometimes. I've seen this episode. I know that. See, I I hadn't seen this episode, and so this girl shows up, and it's just like, oh, who's this? Oh, hmm. uh, it's no one came with her, so probably she's. So you even you hadn't having not seen it, you'd even figured it out quickly. Yeah, it was not hard to figure out. Yeah. Well, there you go. But it wasn't... Which probably means that her, that she's a shapeshifter too. Yeah. Which bloody bloody blah. Right. And it wasn't even really critical to the plot. I mean, aside right. from prompting Wesley being a dick, it <laughs> you know it had nothing. There wasn't even really a plot in this episode at all, aside no. from Wesley no. like falling in love and then being annoyed. Well, and I can totally see the writers sort of breaking season two and saying, "Okay, we need we need this, we need this. We should have Wesley's fifteen now. We should probably have him fall in love for the first time." Like, I could see them planning that, but it, they should have done it better than this. Yeah, or at least yeah. giving us a B-plot or something. Yeah, that would Actually, have Actually, no, fine. giving us an A-plot. This was the B-plot. <laughs> exactly. I, this also falls into the trap of a lot of episodes. It usually is Counselor Troy, but not always, of the Enterprise is on a mission that takes three to five days, and during that brief time, someone falls in love. Mm. Uh-huh. I just, I, I don't buy it. I just it takes a little longer than that to, to you know form that bond. Well, the, and the whole reason it took any length of the time at all is because Jordy broke the engines and he had to fix them. <laughs> oh yeah, they would have just warped right to the other planet immediately. Otherwise, exactly. yeah, problem solved. <laughs> Jordy's like, oh, you need a couple days with this girl. Oops, I dropped my wrench. <laughs> there you go, Wes. Go go do your thing. Yeah, but that's the thing though. This episode doesn't even take place over a couple of days. This is in the course of a day. Is it? Yes. Yeah. Most the actual, the, the fixing the engines took a couple of hours, and then the trip itself took a couple of hours. Ah. I, I wasn't paying that close attention, to be honest with you. I was fascinated by anything that was not Wesley's ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's let's talk about let's talk about Wesley's ass. <laughs> we have to. Fortunately, we don't see anything close to even the contours of his buttocks, but uh, the outfit. <laughs> Much appreciated, by the way. Yeah. Well, we got our cover art now, anyway. <laughs> Oh, no, no, there's his his uniform is not made the same way as the others are. There is a clear separation between the top and the bottom. And some cod piece. <laughs> yep. And in the back, there's a there's a I guess a zipper or something that keeps the pants up, and it's undone. Mm-hmm. It just looks like his butt flap is hanging out. Like his, you know, <laughs> he came back from the outhouse and he forgot to zip up. It. I, I mean. Putting aside the obvious jokes and whatever, it's just it's bad costume design, and this director really fixated on having the camera at about waist level for no yep. apparent reason. I think it, it would have been fine if they hadn't like kept the camera. Yeah, <laughs> at that like, yeah. There were like tons. Yeah, like you were saying, like waist level or even slightly below, where we yeah. want to like look up the characters and give them this big hero shot. Mm-hmm. And it which just, is fine yeah. in a, in an episode that dr- calls for that dramatically, but there was no call for it here. It was just nope. sort of arbitrary. Yeah. 
And, and it wasn't going to make this interesting somehow. Yeah. <laughs> so, we'll show, so we'll show Wesley's ass. Yeah, that'll do the trick. But it wasn't just Wesley. Like, they did it to Riker, too. And it, it wasn't doing him any favors, either. <laughs> it's just an unflattering <laughs> angle for everyone. Maybe the director was just six inches high. <laughs> <laughs> Inch high private eye? <laughs> yes. Uh, what else? Any Anything? I got nothing. I think we hit all the... Uh, talking points about the dolphin. Oh, the she, dolphin. Liked, she liked chocolate, so there was uh, I don't know, some sort of Counselor Troy <laughs> yeah, but Counselor, angle. That, that would have given her a, a, a minute to do something. And <laughs> she can't have that. No. Actually, mm. Counselor Troy loving chocolate is a defining character trait that hasn't appeared yet, I don't think. Oh. Yeah, we'll have to make. We'll have to mark that when it does happen. But it, it does, I think, in season like maybe later this season or season three, and then it never goes away. Like, oh, well, Counselor Troy can sense emotions, and she likes chocolate. That is all that there is about her. <laughs> yep. Oh, and she has some problems with her mother. The end. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh boy. All right, Bob. Well, uh, great for you to be here during the first, you know, truly great episode here. Uh, yep. Thanks. Consider, th- I mean, you know, not not that this is, you know, you're really saving me work since I didn't have to do any. Uh, summarizing this week but uh Excellent. what the hell i'm gonna pass this off as a late birthday present so uh, <laughs> oh happy so birthday much, here's measure of a man <laughs> actually that reminds do. me why did you want to pick the dolphin at first oh well i wanted to be on the show that had measure of the man but i didn't want to actually do it myself because i thought it would be too hard to make something humorous <sighs> okay. out of it but <laughs> yeah i'll leave that for the audience to judge whether i succeeded or not oh, I, I think you did. Uh, yeah we, i think you did we fine. left so, yeah. you know, who cares about them? Oh, all right. <laughs> no, um, I, and that was that was my fault. We we t- sort of miscommunicated there, but uh, you, you pulled it out. So it oh, fine. no worries. And I didn't have to do any work. <laughs> and that was the best of all. Yep. <laughs> Next week, same deal. Um, we have a guest coming, so Matt doesn't have to write a summary. So uh, Hooray! That's good. Uh, oh, and we're doing the Royale, which actually was Bob's first choice. With cheese. <laughs> yep. Oh, Boy, is it. <laughs> uh, so Flonk will be joining us then. Um is he doing the Royale? I don't know. I don't. I will have to ask him. All right. I'm not sure. I think so. Which leaves me then with Contagion. I don't even know what which one that is. I think it has something to do with a uh, bug. Oh, it has good. something to do with contagions. Well, I, oh, thanks, guys. <laughs> You're welcome. It's this encyclopedic knowledge that <laughs> the reason I keep you guys around. <laughs> well, I mean, after you've done something for so long, I mean, the yeah, stuff just pops into your Second nature, head. really. Oh, yeah. yeah. Anytime um, I can help. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, that's next week. Uh, then we have just another episode with two more uh, shows, and then the following week we are recording live from the Emerald City Comic Con in yes. front of an audience. So uh, that should be fun. We're not we we've gone over this for a while. We're not doing any sort of special thing. We're just going to do an episode. We're going to be recording episode seventy three uh, in front of an audience. It is Pen Pals and Q Who, which uh, first appearance of the Borg. So that's kind of cool. Excellent. Mm-hmm. That should be fun. So be there. Look I will. forward to that. Yes, you should. Um, you should definitely be there if you can. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, that's all from us, and we will be here next week. Matt, say your thing. See you, folks. The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham, copyright 2012. Please don't sue us. We're just doing this for fun.